We are uh, going to uh, continue on uh, in our study of Galatians here, and not detailed study of verse by verse through Galatians, but the themes and the the main ideas that Paul portrays to the Galatian people. And uh, we're going to continue on, and we're going to start in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. And if you got it, would you stand to your feet just so I know that you're ready today? If you don't have your Bible or forgot to charge your Bible, uh, it's going to be up on the screen. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. This is what the word says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and our minds. God, open us up to hear and understand what you have said in your word. God, we love you and we thank you, and in your name we pray, amen and amen. It is at this point, you may be seated, I'm sorry. It is at this point in the book of Galatians that Paul is beginning to teach these people of Galatia uh, that we are saved by faith, not by works. Now that raises a question because there, there, is, there is two sides that we often find at odds with each other in the church world, and that is the side of legalism and very strict adherence to the law of God in, in a way that has become religious and lacking in faith and love and grace and mercy. Then there's the other side of it, which is an extreme that is all grace and all faith and all and all just trusting in the work of the Lord, but there's no obedience whatsoever to God. So the question that is raised is, well, if we're not justified by the works of the law, do we have to do anything that the Bible says? And usually it's in reference to the Old Testament, because you see this argument all the time, uh, and it's very common when you begin to dive into defending faith and defending uh, what is sin and what is not sin. People love to take scriptures out of the book of Leviticus and say, well, you're saying I can't do this. Well, Leviticus says you can't eat shrimp and crab legs, and you can't wear blended fabric so your polyester cotton shirt is sinful to wear, and you shouldn't be doing that either. And if you aren't really in tune with the word and understanding the Levitical law and those things, how, how do you handle that? Because then at that point, you're like, well, it does say that, doesn't it? It, it does. You're right. You have a point. But it starts with understanding the, the structure of the, the laws in the Old Testament. So when you look at the laws, and you, break, you can break them into three categories in Leviticus. Well, really four categories. Uh, you, have, you have civil laws, which is just like speed limits and things like that today. Uh, of course, they didn't need speed limits back then because a camel can only go so fast to begin with. So civil laws are something that just was like for property ownership, for uh, how to do business amongst people, trading in the marketplaces, laws about those types of issues. And there was uh, uh, set up for a legal system for trials and courts and things like that. That is civil law. And that adjusts with the time. Uh, because, well, as people change and society changes and adjusts, you need different laws to govern it. We need speed limits because we have cars. 
We need traffic lights and traffic laws because we have cars. We need, we need laws that regulate uh, all kinds of things because they are things that we now have that didn't exist before. And so civil law is one of the categories. You also have ceremonial law. And ceremonial law is really broken into two of its own categories. You had laws that were specific for the Levitical priesthood, and then you had laws that involved the people of Israel as well. So you had, you had two little categories of ceremonial law, and ceremonial law uh, is the laws that were given to uh, give instruction on worship and purification and washings and sacrifices and all of those things that make somebody whole and justified and, uh, and pure in the eyes of God. And that, that is how the ceremonial law worked. And there are some of those that were specific for uh, the Levitical priests and things that they were the only ones that were allowed to do because the common man would have been struck down and killed because the presence of God was so holy and pure that their sinful nature couldn't have entered into the Holy of Holies. So those ceremonial laws were in place for those reasons. Now we come in, I'm going to time all together, I promise. Then we come in and we have what is called moral law. Moral law was things like don't murder don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. In other words, look at the Ten Commandments. That is the, the primary example of the moral law. And so the moral law is actually God's standard of holiness for the people. So you have the moral law, which is the standard. That is God saying, listen, I am holy, I am pure, I am righteous, and these are the ways that I can describe to you what that means to be pure and righteous, and this is how I'm going to tell you what the standard is. The standard never changes. It can't change because God does not change. The moral law comes straight from the characteristics and holiness of God himself. So those do not change. And so when we get into these issues of moral law and all that, like one of the first things you need to understand is that the moral laws never change, but the ceremonial law was simply how you achieved the standard of holiness and how you made right the wrongs when you did sin. And so through the ceremonial law, you, you, you made right and justification and forgiveness were all found within the ceremonial law through sacrifice and things of that nature. The civil law was just kind of like, hey, don't drive your camel too fast through the marketplace, uh, you know, things like that. But the ceremonial law was the, the way you got to the holiness and the way you found forgiveness and righteousness and you were justified before God, but the moral law was the standard that you were supposed to live up to. Are you all following with me so far? And so where the ceremonial law uh, throughout the scriptures, which is things like don't wear blended fabrics because that was one of the ways in which God's people were separated amongst the rest of the world through purity and, and holiness and don't eat shellfish and pork and things of those nature uh, because that is impure and unclean and you need to stay away from those things because you are my people set apart. Those things, that, that way we reached holiness, that way we found righteousness and justification before God changed. The standard didn't change and it can't change. But the way in which we go about pursuing that standard did change. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. At least not in this church. 
There might be some that do. But we don't have to do those things to be justified before God. And that's what Paul's saying. Because when you read this scriptures, it, it can it it can be a little confusing at times because in one one breath it's saying we're not justified by the law, and then other breath is saying, Does that mean we can go on sinning? Well, of course not. That doesn't it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And, and so when you start looking at that, you're like, well, what in the world do I do to, de- to determine which is which and what is right and what is wrong? It starts, I'm not going to go through all the laws. That would be a month-long thing in and of itself. And we're not going to get into all of that. Read your Bible, study it. You can figure it out by reading it, what is what. Jesus even references the Old, uh, the Old Testament moral laws in the New Testament. And in the book of Luke, I believe it's in chapter 10, there is a lawyer that uh, comes before him and asks him, how, how can I get eternal life? He goes, well, you know the law. What does it say? And, and it's a very simple way of saying it. It, it, it. He says, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's saying is, is there is an essence of the law that is still to be followed, the spirit of the law, the not the letter of the law, the principle of the law is still there. And we're going to get more into that here in just a moment. Are, are you all following with me today? I know this isn't a shouting, rolling in the aisle type of teaching today. Uh, but you know what? Like I said last week, we are really good at loving the Lord our God with all our heart soul and strength, and we forget to love them with our mind and understand what we even get excited about. And so we, sometimes we need to go into some teaching and understanding what the Word says. So the law is still good. There, there is nothing wrong with the law. We need to understand that. Paul is not saying, hey, the law is all bad and it's all, you just need to throw it all out. By no means. He tells uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What law and what Scripture is he talking about? Well, Paul wasn't saying in the book of Romans because, well, guess what? He wrote that himself. He's referencing to the old covenant laws and scrolls of the prophets and of uh, Leviticus and all of those things. He's saying all of those scriptures there, they're still good things. They're profitable. There's good teaching in there. The stories of the prophets, the story of the nation of Israel, all of that is still good and still valuable because when you study that word, you you uncover the character of God, you un- uncover the way God moves and works among his people and, ha- and how he operates in the earth, and you can uncover all of his characteristics and his standard of holiness. So all of those things are still good. It's still good for correction. But he also makes the argument uh, to, to people, because there's like, in, in Galatians, there uh, in chapter 3, I'm not going to get into reading the whole thing, but they are uh, arguing and they're trying to figure out what purpose the law still has. And this is where this all comes into play. And he goes through and he says, the law was to serve a purpose of a placeholder until Jesus came. And he says, it's all still good. It's all still still viable. It's all still valuable. And, and, and he's saying that in the old covenant law, 
especially in the ceremonial law, because we already understand that the moral law will never change, but we use the ceremonial law, that the principles within the ceremonial law are still in play today. Like I said before, ceremonial law was for pursuing purity in your worship and purity before God through sacrifice. There's all kinds of sacrifices in Leviticus. Leviticus is nothing but that for the most part. And so he's teaching them. He's saying it's all profitable. It's all good. And so when we look at the laws and the ceremonial laws, what do we find in those laws just as one example? We find that the requirement of worship before God is still pure and true, and it should be of our heart, and it should be of our best. You see, when they would bring an animal to the house of the Lord for a sacrifice of worship, your second best, your second rate animal sacrifice was not accepted. It had to be the best that you could offer. It had to be without any blemish, without any scars, without any illness, without any sickness, any impurities. Well, although we don't bring animals into the house of God to sacrifice, and if you even try to do that, we're going to have a conversation about it. We need to bring ourselves into the house of God in a heart of worship that is pure, that is the best that we have to offer before God. See, these principles that were taught, it's still good. It's still valuable. It's still viable. None of that changed. It's just how we go about it changed. Jesus told the woman at the well that there is a time that is coming that you won't worship me in the mountain or in Jerusalem, but it'll just be everywhere and in spirit and in truth. You see, worship becomes about what comes out of us, not about what goes into us and what is clothed on us. You see, uh, the Pharisees, they tried to uh, get Jesus with this one, saying, well, your, your disciples, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Does, don't you know that that makes them unclean? And Jesus says, it's not what you put into your mouth, but it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. So in other words, you can eat your bacon. You can eat your ham. That's, God doesn't care about that. He cares about what comes out of you. You see, we've gone from an external work to get to holiness and righteousness and just being justified before God to what is going on inside of us instead. Because you see, the reality of it is like Paul said, no one will ever be justified by the works of the law. Why? Because you will never be able to change the heart of a person just by trying to make sacrifices and wearing the right clothing. And, and you can wear what you can wear. I've met people who wear three-piece suits and are the worst, nastiest people you'll ever meet in your life, but they call themselves a Christian and they sit in a chair on Sunday morning, but they have the audacity and the nerve to go down to the restaurant and cuss out their waiter or waitress and, and say, well, bless God, you, you forgot my pickles. And they'll go on a rant and they'll go crazy on them. And, and they are a defiled person. Why? Because it's not the suit. It's not the action. It's not how you dress. It's not how, how you, uh, what you drive. It's not the house you live in. It's not how clean you are and how your hair looks and how all of those things. It, that, none of that matters. It's what comes out of you, and it's what's going on on the inside of you. God says, Jesus said, man looks at the outward appearance, but I 
the Lord look at the heart. But you see, when we look at the ceremonial law, you were clean based on the food you ate, the clothing you wore. And, and Jesus said, this isn't working. we got to make a change. And so what happened is, is Jesus himself became the ultimate sacrifice that fulfilled all of the requirements for holiness and justification according to the ceremonial law and said, I'm going to make a way that all can be pure and all, that can, all can be righteous and justified before God on Judgment Day through my blood. And he says, through this, all you have to do is have faith in me and you can walk justified and righteous. It's that simple. And, and you know, when, you, when we read that and we, understand, and, we, and we see that, it's a very like, difficult thing to grasp because it's like, that's all I have to do? And you look at the old covenant law. You look at all the things they used to have to do to satisfy that justification before God. And it's like, how could it be so simple? And then that leads me to ask the question, I think the better question would be, is how great of a sacrifice was Jesus that all of those things that we could not fulfill externally, he took care of on the cross through his blood. And now all we have to do is live by faith in him. Paul says, to explain this life of faith a little better, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says it kind of looks like this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is, is summarizing the, the new covenant here. He's saying the life I live is not the, the life you've always known me to live. Uh, we talked about it last week when we talked about no other gospel. Paul, Paul used to be a persecuting man. He hated Christians. He hated the gospel message. He did everything he could to stop it. And now he's preaching the message he tried to stop, and he's saying, that life I used to live, although I still exist in the flesh, like I still have breath in my lungs, I still have hands and feet, and I still move and work, he was it's not guided by me anymore. It's guided by my faith in Jesus. And so as a result, because of his faith in Jesus being the guiding factor of his life, it's not really him determining his actions anymore, but rather Christ, who is on the inside of him through this transformed life, is now living through him in the world. That's powerful. Like, our life as a believer is not really us anymore. When he says, I was crucified with Christ, it's no longer I that live. In other words, my life is gone away with and done. It's now all about him. And you could really dive deep into that. Because Jesus tells people, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die daily. You have to pick up your cross and follow me. He tells his disciples, when they said, well, we've abandoned everything to follow you, he says, I, I promise you there is great reward in heaven for anybody who abandons all things to follow me. He even goes as far as to talking to people who say, I, we want to follow you, but I need to go bury my father first. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. 
He says, well, let me go say goodbye to my family. He says, there's no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It is a hard thing to live a life of faith. He tells them, if, if you don't hate mother and father and, and even your own life for my sake, you can't be a disciple. That's a heavy-hitting thing we don't like to talk about in the church. But that is the life of faith that is required to follow Christ. Like, yes, it's simple, but it's not easy. You can believe in Jesus, and, and, and it, the, the Bible says in the book of Romans that all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and we can be saved. But the, the thing is, is if you really believe that, you're going to live by it. You're not just going to say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead and, and forgave my sins and just carry on about your business. That transforms you. And it changes the way you think. It changes the way you act because you now believe something that you didn't believe before. If we really believe in something, we live by it. That, that's the reality of faith is it should transform everything that we do. You see, Jesus gave us this new covenant and a new approach. It's not about what we do on the outside, but rather what's going in, going on on the inside. But as the result of it, the things that go on on the outside should change some. Because Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. And he says a bad tree will not produce good fruit. And a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit. And so we can tell who is part of the kingdom and who lives by faith by the fruit that is bared on the tree, the bore on the tree. And so the inward change should be reflected in the outward way of life. I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day, and uh, you know, we get on these topics of holiness and, and the law of, of God and all these things, and, and it's really up for debate in culture today. It just seems like every day these, these celebrity pastors and preachers are falling into the trap of the world and trying to just tickle, te tickle ears and get people to show up, and they're afraid to lose people. And preach the truth. But I was talking to a friend the other day. When you have a life of faith, and you really look to Jesus as the guiding factor, he will lead you into all righteousness and truth. He will lead you out of sin and into holiness. And if he doesn't, well, it, you're probably not following the right Jesus. But I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day on the phone, and he was sharing a, a testimony with me. There was a, a, a lesbian couple that was in his church here recently. And they had been coming for a few weeks. And they love all people. They are a church that loves all people of all walks of life. They do. 
and I and I commend him for that, and I and I look up to him, and he's somebody I look up to in my life, and has been a great mentor to me. And he said, Brandon, he goes, I had to preach a really hard message the other day. And he goes, I did it in love. He goes, but I preached Romans chapter 1. And if you know what Romans chapter 1 is, it talks about sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality, and how, and how people had turned to that and live in that lifestyle. And he told me, he says, I, I was preaching through that. He goes, my message was faith over feelings is what I preached and he goes, I was a little nervous about this one. He goes, because I don't want to hurt anybody. He goes, but I got to preach the truth. So he preached the truth. He goes, afterwards, one of, the, one of the couple came to him. And just like no, nothing ever was even preached about it. He was expecting some offense. But no, it was, hey, good word today, Pastor. And they, they talked about some basketball game or whatever together for a moment and said goodbye for the, for the week. He gets a, he's talking to a family member of that person. Come to find out they had broken up the relationship, and they now say they just don't feel like that's them anymore. They they said that they're they they have a new way of thinking and it and they just they said they just don't feel that attraction. And I feel like it's not me and and something's changed. Isn't that crazy? How truth sets us free. It's almost like when the Bible says you know the truth and the truth sets you free that it that it actually was talking about something real there. You see, the grace of God and faith does not just let us go into any way. There are preachers who are letting people go to hell because they don't preach the truth. You can do it in a loving way. But when God gets a hold of somebody's heart, they transform and they come into a new life where they don't live the way they used to live anymore. They don't talk the way they used to talk anymore. They don't go to the same places anymore. And there's a change in their heart that says, wow, this, there's something to this truth that I can't live like this anymore. And it's not out of bitterness or resentment or hatred. It's just a transformation that says, I'm not who I thought I was. And God's given me a new name and a new life through his grace and mercy. It's powerful what a life of faith will do. You see, I say, I, I'm saying all this to say that, you know, we don't live by the law, we live by faith. And when we say we don't live by the law, we mean we don't have to make those sacrifices and stuff anymore because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to satisfy the requirements of the law. And all we have to do is put our faith in him, but the standard of holiness did not change. But it's amazing what happens when we submit ourselves to that standard of truth and holiness of his word and we live in obedience to it and we teach it and we live it. And listen, I'm not the only one in this room that's responsible for sharing truth with people. You all have opportunity, I'm sure, every day to share the truth of God's word. And you don't have to be mean about it. But you have to be truthful. And Paul is saying, because 
one of the other arguments going on in Galatians, and you see it even in Romans, you know, the argument is, is well, does that mean we're free to do whatever we want? And Paul says, no, by, by no means. He says, if, if that was the case in, in Galatians, he says, if, if it was us to just be free to do whatever we want, then Jesus would be leading us into sin, he was, no, he's leading us into righteousness and holiness and justification before God. And all we have to do is put our faith in him. The uh, Galatians 3.11 says this, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. I'm going to take just a minute and, and let's define faith here so we can get some practical ways to live this out today. And I'll close with this, this last little bit here. The definition of faith can be found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. I like the way the, uh, the ESV reads in it. Some Bibles say it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Some say it's the reality of things hoped for and the proof of things not seen. I like how the ESV says it because it's very easy to grasp and understand. It says it is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We are assured of who Jesus is and our hope in him. And we have deep conviction. When you understand the Greek and you read that, it is a word that I cannot pronounce, but I can tell you what it means. It means a deep conviction. It's not just a shallow belief and conviction. It is a deeply held conviction that Jesus is who he says he is and the assurance that it's really true. And how does faith come? The Word of God says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so it is through understanding God's Word and understanding who He is through the reading of His Word and His message that we come into knowledge and of Him and a revelation of Him that makes us sure of Him and gives us a new deeply held conviction that we didn't have before. So what does it mean when it says the righteous shall live by faith? And when Paul says we live by faith, not according to the works of the law, what it means is that we live according to the assurance that Jesus is real and he says he is who he says he is, and we live according to the conviction of all the things that his word says. That's what it means to live by faith. We are sure of it and we are convicted by it. Listen, you're not going to live by anything you're not sure of. And if you're not sure of it, you're certainly not going to have any conviction about it. You know, we, we uh, will abide by a, uh, a speed limit, at least most of the time. Or, Okay, we abide by it some of the time. We certainly hit the brakes when we see an officer sitting down the road. Why? Because we have an assurance about what is right and wrong, and we have a conviction about the reality that if we break the law and if we do what we're not supposed to do, we're going to find ourselves with a nice little bill to pay called a speeding ticket. Some people have zero conviction about it, and they just blow right by and they have no problem paying tickets. Me, on the other hand, I don't want to pay a ticket. I've gone my whole life without a ticket, and I'm very proud of that. But I say all this to say that living by faith, our our life, when we say by faith, live by faith, we live by the knowledge and truth of God's word, understanding that it is true, and abiding by a deeply held conviction about it. 
Because if, if you believe that God is true and you have that assurance, you also understand what comes by lack of obedience to it. And I'll tell you, the, the assurance of knowing that judgment day is coming someday, and this is not hellfire and brimstone preaching I'm getting into. It's just the truth that there's going to come a day that we are all going to stand before God and give an account. And I want to stand before God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to know that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and by my faith I live according to my assurance and conviction of who Jesus is and his word. That's what I want. I hope you want the same. I, I hope this is helpful for you today. Because this, this is such a, a controversial topic. There are churches that are built on the foundation of following the law. And, and, and it's crazy they, they, of what laws they, they pick to follow. There are some that live purely by grace. And they don't follow any law. There are some that fall nicely in the middle and understand that we are saved by faith according to grace and we are still held to a holy standard and we do our best and when we fall down, we can go to the Lord in repentance and ask for forgiveness and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can have forgiveness and we can find repentance and we can find a way to start over and try to correct it. That's where I hope you all find yourselves today. We want to live by faith, not according to the works of the law, not so far into grace that we bury ourselves in liberty of sinfulness and totally forsaking the law, but understanding God still has a holy standard and it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified and we are empowered, empowered by his Holy Spirit to walk according to his word. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?